Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see some of our returning peeps, you know, uh, with us this morning for the first time since, uh, wow, a long time. So thank the Lord for that. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 7, uh, and the assigned text for today is verse 37 through 52. But um, uh, most likely... Matter of fact, not most likely. We're going to look at probably just three of those verses, and then and then come at it again uh, when when we come back to John chapter seven. So we'll probably look at thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine out of John chapter seven this morning. And so, um, let me give you a little bit of an outline as far as uh, uh, where we're going to go this morning uh, with John chapter seven. We're going to have three things that we're going to look at. Uh, the first thing is we're going to look at John chapter 6, verse 35. So we're going to start there because John 6, 35 is one of those um, fancy word, hermeneutical. It's one of those keys, those uh, scriptures that provide insight, not only in its own immediate context, but, but uh, 635 helps us understand chapter 6, helps us understand chapter 7, helps us understand chapter 8. And so we're going to look at that, that, that one verse in a, in a particular way. Um, the second thing we'll do is, is just talk for a few minutes about historical context. And the historical context is not going to be, you're not going to open your Bible and find it. Uh, you have to do a little research. And so to truncate that process for you, we do have a set of notes that's available uh, online. You can easily get them. So if you want to check up on me and do your own little research and say, well, you know, Conway, that's, uh, I think you could do a little better with that. Uh, you can do that. And then thirdly, we're, we're going to get um, to those three verses. And I think when you look at uh, 635 and you look at the historical context a little bit, uh, we're going to get a much uh, more robust understanding of those verses and also what's to come. For example, like, why does Jesus talk to this woman that, this woman that's caught in adultery? How, how did that get in the flow of things? And how did, in John chapter 8, why does Jesus say he's the light of the world? How, why is that in the flow of it? And I think when we look at... Um, context, it helps us to understand those things and uh, gives us, a, a, at least for me, a greater appreciation for the text. So let's pray. We'll look at those three little points. And, um, and then if you'd like to join us again, it's like Sunday mornings, like people say, how can you do three services? And I just simply uh, use the analogy, how do you eat three scoops of ice cream? One at a time. Yeah, that's all you do. So it's really cool. So let's pray together. And then we'll begin our study uh, this morning. Father, I pray this morning that uh, in our spirit, you would awaken us. Lord, that you'd bring us from a place of maybe uh, feeling spiritually frustrated spiritual hunger. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that you would awaken our hearts towards 
Christ as we, as we look at the scriptures this morning. And Lord, that as you do that, you would help us to uh, move beyond where we're at this morning and step into all that we are in Christ. And that you would be pleased with that, that movement on our part. And that you would pour your spirit as we know your spirit resides in us. But you would create that dynamic where those rivers of living water flow out from us, Lord. And so we're just here this morning, Lord, to honor you, to receive from you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me do that. You'd help me deal with the text in a way that, that honors you, Lord, and that encourages all of our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get to our text, come with me to John chapter 6, verse 35. It's one of those verses that if we can grapple with it, it helps us at so many different levels. Prior to the 19th century, uh, what you can observe about pastoral ministry prior to the 19th century was that people would come to their local, if we could use this word phrase, they would come to their local parish parson. And when I started out in ministry back in 1980, I, I thought that's what ministry would look like. You know, we just hang out like in a village and we'd have like a village church and all the people and all the peeps would be around there, but it didn't quite work out that way. But back in the day, that's the way it was like. You have a village and you have a parish parson. And if you had issues in your life with that inner issues of your 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 inner man, your soul, your heart, uh, you would come to your pastor and, and he would care for your soul. Matter of fact, uh, Thomas Oden talks about this in his book, Pastoral Theology. And so th you'd come and, and if you were anxious, like anxiety, um, and let me say parenthetically, I, I thank the Lord for Christian counselors and interventions on that. So but you'd come to your local pastor and, you know, he, he didn't have the ability to uh, write you out a prescription because those things didn't really exist back in the day. But what he would do is he would drill down and help you understand what was going on in your soul and your heart and your inner man and help you, you know, take a step out of anxiety or if you were uh, lacked peace in your life or you lacked joy or or, you know, you were melancholy or depressed or, you know, all the things that, that you and I deal with day in and day out, you know, people were, were more inclined to come to their pastor and say, you know, can you, can you help me in my inner, inner person with these things? And so the pastor was, in a sense, he was a doctor for the soul. This one verse here helps us to understand a simple truth. And the simple truth is this, it, we could pose it as a question, especially if you're here this morning, and just bring me down a little bit. If you're here this morning and are you sitting at home and you're, you're anxious, or you're frustrated, you're frustrated with life or... <laughs> 
you know, you're frustrated with church life or you're frustrated with the worship team and Lord forbid, you know, frustrated with the pastor, you know, don't want to see too much of that. Vocationally unhealthy. But if you're frustrated or you're stuck spiritually, what's the remedy for that? This verse provides the remedy and it also unlocks the other chapters that we're looking at. Take a look at the verse with me in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He goes, I am the bread of life. And we looked at that in John chapter 6. And, and what's being drawn out of here, so we'll bring in some historical context, what's being drawn out of this is that the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and they needed to eat. And so what does God provide for them? Manna from heaven. And what Jesus says to them in John chapter 6 is he says to them, I am that manna. I'm that manna. I'm the fulfillment of that. And so when we come to the text, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not what? Not hunger. And so what Jesus is beginning to show the people spiritually that if you're anxious in your life, Matthew chapter 6, if you're anxious about where your daily bread's going to come the next day and how you're going to pay your bills and how's all this going to work out, Jesus says to them, look, as I provided in the wilderness, I'm going to provide for you. And there's the great assurance there that as we find, here's the spiritual application, here's the answer to the diagnostic question. Here's how to care for your inner man. Here's how to care for your soul. That if you're hungry, God has put a void, created a void in your soul to hunger after things. Did you notice that? You say, oh, if I only get the right job. Oh, I'm still. Oh, if I only get the right husband or wife. And then you get the husband or wife. Like, oh, I can't believe you gave me this Lord, right? Present company accepted. There's a hunger. Look at the rest of the verse. And whoever believes in me shall never what? He'll never thirst. People are wandering in the wilderness. They got the manna. But that's just not enough. You have to have water to survive. And so... The Lord instructs Moses to go to a what? To a rock. And out of the rock comes what? Water. Jesus is going to say in our text, whoever thirsts. Historical context shows us that Jesus has arrived at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And the children of Israel for seven days are going to gather together and they're going to they're going to have a block party, in a sense, celebrating God's provisions for the harvest and the fact that God sent rain and God's provided, and they're, they're celebrating. Historical context, the priests, it depends who you read, thousands of priests form a procession. They go out the water gate. By the court of the Gentiles, they go down to a pool of water that has flowing water through it. Remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And they take these golden pitchers and 
scoop up the water and, and march back saying, oh, the waters of our salvation, they're chanting and singing and rejoicing. They do that for seven days, historical context. They, they do the celebration in the court of the women. So you get three courts. You get the court of the Gentiles. You get that middle court and the court of the men. So within this middle court, everybody's talking back and forth. Men and women are welcome in that court. Inside the court, you've got four huge, humongous, 70-foot candelabras that are lit. Uh, the temple mount is on the hill. It shines down all over Jerusalem. And Jesus comes in John chapter 8, and he talks about a woman caught in adultery. And he says, I am the light of the world. Where does it come from? And so they're celebrating for, for seven days. And Jesus, in the, in the midst of that celebration, Jesus arrives midway through it. Yet on the eighth day of this celebration, once again, bring it in, historical context. On the eighth day of the celebration, there's no water ceremony. There's no pouring of water. There's no prayer for water. There's a, there's a solemn assembly where they reflect upon God's provision and God's goodness in the wilderness as he provided manna from heaven. I am the bread of he who eats of that will never what? Hunger. They're reflecting on the rock where water came forth. And Jesus says, anyone that thirsts, come to me. And he says that promise that rivers, remember John chapter 4 in the woman at the well. Well, if I give you water, you will never thirst. And the woman says, oh, bring it on. Bring it on, Jesus. This one verse in chapter 6, 35 offers us the remedy for the anxiety that plagues us. Offers an answer for the lack of peace that invades our heart. The distress that comes in waves in our culture today. Because wherever you find your satisfaction, there you'll find your peace. Wherever you find the satisfaction for your hunger, there you'll find, there you'll find your peace. Wherever you decide to drink from, however you decide to satisfy your thirst, that'll determine your destiny in life. For what the Bible teaches is that, is that there is only one thing, and it's not a thing, there is only one person that can satisfy the whole and our soul, that thirst and hunger and that and that person is Jesus Christ. And we go through life, we are trained to, to go through life in a progression. If I only get admitted to the right school, if I only get the right vocational training, 
if I only find the right person to marry, if I, if I only find the right church, if I only find the right pastor who has to be five foot seven, that's stretching it, and he has to be Irish and he has to have a sense of humor, if I only find him, then all will be well. And then you find him and you say, oh, God, help me. Only Jesus, only Christ can satisfy the hunger for relationships. Only Christ can satisfy the thirst that are in our soul. And God has designed us, as Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he has put eternity in the heart. God has planted that. So that God would be most pleased with us. So that God would be most pleased with us when we are most satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus comes, come to John chapter 7, this is such a great, when Jesus comes in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, for seven days, they poured out the water. So for, for, for seven days, they've, they've chanted this, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation and they pour out the water. Isaiah 50, uh, 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from wells of salvation. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts. Everyone who thirsts. Isaiah 58, 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in the scorched places. You will be like a well-watered garden. On the last day of the great feast, on day eight, where there's no chanting, there's no prayer, Jesus rises up at that moment and steals the show, captures the people's attention. And with a loud voice, that's supposed to be loud in church, so just Take a deep breath, relax, Conway. You're getting caught up in the moment. You need some therapy. With a very loud voice, cries out, if anyone thirsts. Who's he saying that to? Anyone. In particular, he's saying it to his adversaries. Chapter 7 Verse 30, the people that want to arrest him. Chapter 7, verse 32, the Pharisees who sent the soldiers to arrest him. Chapter 7, verse 28, to the people of Israel who had the oracles of God, Romans 3, 2, Jesus says, you don't know me to his adversaries, to his enemies, he gives an invitation, if anyone. Now, I'd like to say, I, 
I don't see anybody here in this room that wants to kill Jesus. So how much more would God's invitation be to you this morning? Are you thirsty? Do you long for more? Are you dissatisfied with your, your life? Are you dissatisfied with church? Join the club. Because church will never truly satisfy you. It's only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that he satisfies the thirst in our heart. We're designed to be thirsty. How's that? We're designed, we're made to be thirsty critters. You know, I went for a run this morning. Uh, and yesterday, it was so humid, the first thing I did is come into the house and go, I leak. You leak. God's made you that way. You're designed to be that way. You're designed to thirst, and you're designed to have hunger. The only question is, where are you going to get your satisfaction from? God is most pleased with us when we are most satisfied with him. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, and then there's this call of grace to them. There's no, there's no like clean up your life. There's no get it together. There's no join the right Join the right church or get the right Bible translation. There's none of that. It's simply this. Come. Let them come. Come. And believe. Because belief is about intimacy. It's about John chapter 15. To believe in Jesus is to be satisfied in him. It's to long for him. It's to, it's to find our completeness in him. It's to find our joy in him. Matthew 6, I think it's 33. Seek ye first, and, and everything else, God will take care of it for you. Everything. God is most pleased. His favor rests on us. His grace rests on us. When we drink, when we're thirsty from Christ, when we hunger we eat of him. And that freaked out the people as we found out in John chapter 6, did it not? But Jesus was talking spiritually. You know, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Jeremiah, book of Revelation, the apostle John, symbolically ate the scroll. Why? To symbolize that assimilation, Romans chapter 12, that assimilation of the word of God in our heart that brings forth intimacy with God and with Christ, and ultimately brings joy to the heart of the believer. Christ says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, I, in the, in, if you check out the notes, you'll see, we read one of them, three of them, Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 55.1, come anyone who thirsts, 
Isaiah 58, 11, you shall be, shall be like a well-watered garden. John chapter 4, the women at the well. Oh, sir, bring it on. Give me that water. As the scriptures, the authority of the scriptures, Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then we conclude in verse 39, which was where we'll pick up in our next time. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. They were incomplete. <laughs> they didn't, Jesus is saying to them, if you thirst, come, and they say, what, what? These scriptures, and, and some of them got it. Look at verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They believed. And belief is expressed in the text as coming with your thirst and drinking deeply from Jesus. God is most pleased. Our life is so much better. God's joy is so much more abundant that when we have thirst and hunger that we go first to Christ and let our life be satisfied in him. If there's one key that gets us through all that life can throw at us, it's simply this, that in my anxiety, oh Jesus, help me, fill my soul. In my pain and brokenness, oh Jesus, come and heal me. In my despair, oh Lord, be my strong arm, be my buckler, be my shield, be my victory in Christ. That when life comes, the source of our satisfaction, the source of our strength is not found in ourself, but in the grace of the Lord who says this, if anyone thirst, let him come. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table uh, this morning.